0: Thanks for listening. For earlier access to these episodes, access to Ask Me Anything sessions, and extended breakdowns of historical and current events, please consider joining our Warning Premium community by clicking the link in the description to this episode. So I'm really thrilled this afternoon to be joined by Francesca Hoagie, who I met at a conference I think it was a conference. Is that what we? I think that's what we call it. (laughs) It was a conference, but it was a conference on patriotism. And there was a really unique assemblage of people there with a lot of varied backgrounds. And you were there and you are a love coach.
1: Yes, yes. That was a a strange uh, room to find myself in for sure, but um, (laughs) I was glad to be there and glad to meet you. But yes, I am a love coach. I help people with love.
0: And I think one of the things that was interesting about that weekend as the obvious, and we'll get into talking about what you do, who you do it with, but love as a concept is elemental. Uh, to the human condition, and that's something that you talked about at the retreat. And in the context of patriotism, you know, one of the things I've long said, and I said there that weekend, is that we need a reminder in the country that you can't hate half the people in it and love your country. And love, whether it's with patriotism, whether it's at an individual level is just elemental to everything else in society working and i just wanted to ask you when you think about your career track tell us how you got into doing what you do how you see it what you do before we talk about the concept more broadly
1: yeah So I, in my former career, I was a corporate lawyer, um, which is not the world's worst job, but it still was something that I knew that that was not what I was on the planet to do. It's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, And love is something that I've always been unusually obsessed with. (laughs) It felt normal to me, but as I got older, I was like, I don't think other people think about love quite as much as I do. Um, and eventually, I mean, this is a very, very short version. Um, eventually I wound up discovering a matchmaker named Paul Brunson and he is a black man. He had an MBA. He was an investment banker and he left his career to start a matchmaking business. And I was very inspired. I was like, I'm kind of like him. I saw myself in him. And, um, Through just following him, I learned that this was actually an industry, that there were people whose job it was to help other people find love. And that was one of the things that was uh, really important to me in my career pivot, was doing something that was really important, like something that was actually really significantly going to positively impact people's lives. And I was like, well, what's more impactful than love, right? Like As you said, it's elemental. We're all born knowing how to love. We're all born, you know, I consider us all to be born love geniuses. Um, And then a lot of that gets suppressed through, you know, life and childhood and conditioning and trauma and all those things. But at our core, you know, we all have this drive to love and to be loved. And, um, you know, I just, once I discovered that I could actually help people really tap into that and to really embody love and not just think of it as, Um, even though I focus on romantic love for for people who are listening, and you have no idea who I am, um, you know, I typically work with people who are single, who are looking for healthy relationships that last. That's my typical um, demographic. But even within that, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're very focused on, I want to get into a relationship, I want to get into a relationship. But then ultimately what the real key to them actually having that relationship is, is having a deeper relationship of self-love so when I started, I was very much about I'm I'm a matchmaker. I'm just going to introduce everybody to you know a great partner, and they're going to fall in love, and it's all going to be great. And once I got in it, it's like oh wait, there's a lot more to this, and there are a lot more layers that people need to really address in understanding what love even is, and how to actually live in love, and um and start there, and then you'll then the the relationship you want, and all of that becomes. In, in, inevitable and just um, an accepted or expected outcome of just moving through the world in a certain way and having that intention of, okay, I do want to co-create a loving relationship with another person.
0: So I I want to talk about all of that, but I want to back up on your career trajectory. And <laughs> so, so <laughs> take us to that moment where <laughs> you're going into the corporate law firm, you're Corporate lawyering and doing the things that corporate lawyers do. And yes, you have your first moment, right? And it's, you know, you have, um, you have gone to law school, you're a lawyer, you've, you've studied for, you've passed the bar, you know, there you are. And one day this, what was it? Is it a moment of doubt creeps in? Um, you know, when do you go from, burst out to, I can't do this anymore. Um, gotta, gotta change it up because I I think a lot of people find themselves there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially a lot of lawyers (laughs) (laughs) because too many people go to law school who shouldn't. Um, but, um, for me, it was, it took, I mean, it took some time because initially you're right. I, you know, I did all the things I, I graduated from law school. I passed the bar. I was at this, you know, great firm in New York City and I was living the dream. You know, I'm like, you know, mid 20s, six figure salary, town car, co- you know, town car home every night and all of these kind of trappings of success that at first you're like, oh, wow, I I made it. Right. But then after a couple of years of that um, and a big thing for me was that at at the, my firm, I actually had a very, very good situation because I had one of the most senior partners at the firm who was my mentor, who I did 99% of my work directly with him. And so I ha- I was very protected from a lot of the, the law firm politics and competition because I was just sort of in this special category as, you know, being this person's associate. and um, And he and I had a wonderful relationship. And so I recognized, especially compared to all of my friends who were lawyers and, you know, in other professions as well, I was like, I have a very, very good situation here. And still, I don't want, this is not what I want to do for my life. And when I look at, when I look at this partner, when I look at all the partners, I don't want their job. Right. And this is like what people say, when you look at your boss, like if you don't want your boss's job, then like you might be in the wrong job. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so like, I don't want that. So I just have to trust that there's something more for me. Um, So my first time that I left the law, I I I left and actually because I see I I was telling I told you the short version, but what I actually had studied undergrad was TV and film production. And so when I first left the law, I started a film production company. And um, so I moved from New York to L.A. and I did that for five years with a friend of mine from law school, actually. So it was that, and then I went back to the law because I got sucked back in <laughs> basically because I needed to make money because I wasn't making any money as a as an independent film producer um and that time I and so you asked about like that moment, I had a day, and I went back to New York, you know, back in the whole corporate law grind back in the town car back in the town car exactly <laughs> back and eating you know dinner at my at my desk and all of that, and I literally. Steve I walked into the office one morning and this has not ever happened to me before and or since I don't think actually um, and I it, it was like somebody was whispering my ear, you're not supposed to be here. And it was so loud and it was so alarming that I actually had a moment of, you know, and this is, you know, downtown Manhattan, uh, you know, skyscraper and I, and I had a moment of like, is this my intuition telling me like there's a terrorist attack I mean like literally that's where I w- went for a moment and then I was like, okay. I don't think it's that I don't think I'm in immediate danger, but I just this is I've, I've reached the limit of this. Like I this stage of being like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So I'm kind of stuck here. I it's like I'm sick of being stuck and it's time for me to figure it out.
0: And and you meet this guy who, as you said, is a he's a black guy. He's he's an investment banker. Right. And so, yeah, there's a you know, which I put like in the very, very proximate space. Right. Yeah. More- Lawyers, right? Very much, so yeah. Walked out of that, he's doing this, and this guy's happy? Yeah.
1: <laughs> this guy is happy. He's living his best life. He's really, um, you know, very uh, passionate about what he does and um, very successful and all of those things. And so, I yeah, I really saw myself in him. I was like, oh, he, you know, did the whole good school, fancy degree thing, You know fancy career and he chose something that seemed crazy and a lot of people really did think i was i mean no one i had one friend who said to me i do you really think is this really what you want to do you really think this is a good idea um everyone else kind of went matchmaking okay (laughs) well, good luck with that you know um and but so it takes a lot of courage to do a big pivot you know as you know um And
0: uh, when people, when people, when you told people that you were like, I'm going to be a matchmaker, were they surprised? Were they like, that's Francesca that were, you know, people kind of fall out of their chairs. Do they (laughs) they like, you know, as Francesca always marched to the beat of her own drummer on on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I I think a lot of people in my life just felt like, okay, you know, she she marches to the beat of her own drum. I, this is the thing she's into. I guess now, you know, I don't think people took it very seriously. Um, but I and I also I, the other thing that I skipped over is that, you know, I had been on Survivor, right? The show, uh, and I'd been on Survivor twice. and, you know, that's a whole debacle. But anyway, but the point is I think people were just kind of used to me doing risky things, unorthodox things. And so they were kind of like, all right. well, good luck with that but there was literally not one person who was like yes this is a good idea I see it I see the vision this is what you should do so I had to really step out on faith that I was being called to this profession for a reason and trust that but yeah it wasn't always easy but I'm glad I did
0: so you talked about this evolution of how you see it how you counsel people when people come to you um that they have to be comfortable with themselves talking about self-love but yes before we before we get there let's talk about who's coming to see you um median age
1: uh i would say the median age is probably late 30s
0: okay yeah male or more female
1: um, so I have more women who come to me as clients, but I actually have more men who listen to my podcast and I find that very interesting. Like the the breakdown on social is is really 50-50, but I think fewer men are inclined to reach out to a coach and say, um, you know, I, I really want to hire you. I, I need deeper help with this. But yeah. And they might not feel as welcome because I do kind of speak to women mostly, but I, I include everyone in my heart, um, <laughs> even if people just sort of, you know, I'm, I, I happen to be a heterosexual woman, so I kind of default to that um, dynamic often, but not to exclude anyone. Everyone's included in what I'm actually talking about, because what I'm actually talking about is really about self-love and intention, and that doesn't have anything to do with your gender or age or race or anything like that.
0: Now I, I find that curious also. What do you what do you, how do you account for that, right? What do you what do you think it is with men? That they are not inclined to ask for help? Um that they're lazy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you right? said it, no, I, was <laughs> I mean that could be it. Um would wouldn't what, what do you what do you think? Now I I um you know, I'm fifty-two, and so we're all a product of our of our generations. And so um being fifty-two, and you know, I say to my kids, well, there's there's grandpa, you know, quintessential baby boomer, but you missed my my grandparents, but but grandpa's generation of of men were pre-GPS, pre-cell phones. Which meant if you were lost with dad, right, and this doesn't matter, right, you know, black man, white man, Hispanic man, it doesn't all men of that generation, right, overwhelmingly, they would not ask for directions, right, you would ask yeah. for, <laughs> for five, six hours, right, you know, well, they would not, they would not do it, right, so like men are evolving, right, somewhat, right, because so, they were, yes. you're a, Right. Asking for help. And and now people are listening and, and men are coming in. But what do you have an approach that's different? You know, um, off the line, what you say to a client, a man who's coming in late 30s versus a woman, you know, late 30s, how you how you begin, how you see it.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, well, I first of all, I would say late 30s is the median, but the average is probably more like 40s, early early for, early to mid-40s. Um, and it's not that I necessarily say different things to, I would say different things to a man versus a woman, but I do speak to them differently. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, what I do like about working with men is that when a man is motivated enough to work with a coach, he's pretty much like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, so just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So it tends to be a much more straightforward, I don't have to... Um, account for as much sort of emotion and like because like the more direct communication this is such generalizations right now
0: <laughs> this is like wild generalization right, right? But, it's, but, but it's good marriage training like which you'll do what you're told and try to execute that <laughs> here yeah i mean there is something about uh, you,
1: there is something especially like in this i think again this heterosexual dynamic where there is an element of men want to please you as a woman So even though I'm just their coach, there's no romantic anything, I'm still saying like, hey, this, you know, this is what we agreed to. These are the actions you're going to take. And then if we get on the phone in a week and you haven't done it, and I'm like, well, tell me why you didn't do it. (laughs) You know, like, this isn't about me. This is about you. So what's going on here? Are you committed or not? It's kind of like, okay, you know, I think that men tend to respond to that a little bit better than women who it tends to be more of a conversation about, Okay, let's talk about how you how you feel and what's coming up for you and how you can like some tools to deal with that emotion so you can take the action that you want. Um, So this men tend to just generally be a little bit more action oriented, but that can have its downside, too, obviously. Right. And so that's um, but that's what's great about a man who's ready to work with a coach. I'm not just saying do these things. It's like there's there's reason, there's meaning, you know, underneath it and they're ready for that.
0: Now, now what percentage of people that are coming to see you are divorced um looking or you know versus you know haven't been married yet, haven't had a
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably about 50-50, you know, between um divorce or even if they weren't married, just maybe long-term relationships, I would say. Um so I would say it's probably probably about 50% of people who've been in long-term relationships. Um, And then probably about 25% of people who who are actively dating, but they're just like stuck in this cycle and they just can't break through. They can't break out of that dating cycle. Um, And then about 25% of people really don't date at all and maybe haven't really dated. And so they're coming to me to really get the confidence and the skills to start to open themselves up and to date and to get romantically activated, as I call it.
0: There are those people because they just gave up were they just never engaged in the
1: yeah it's usually it's usually people who never really got started and then and I and I by the way I'm one of those people so like I mean I was a lawyer at a law firm and I had to recognize like I don't know how to date and I had to teach myself how to date because I I literally was like I don't know how to get it I don't know how to get a date Then when I finally figured out how to get a date, I wasn't getting asked on second dates. So I was like my own first client, right? I had to face the kind of the shame that you can feel when you are an adult person who doesn't date and doesn't have relationships because it feels like there's something wrong with you. It's like, why is everybody else figure this out, but not me? Um, And so it just happens a lot more, it happens a lot more often than people realize Um, because oftentimes people who, don't date and don't have relationships, they're not talking about it. So you just sort of like, oh, you know, they're busy. They're doing this. Oh, there are all these other things going on in their lives. And that's just not a priority for them. Or maybe they just don't talk about it, but people make assumptions that there's something going on that maybe isn't. And, you know, so there are these different sort of ways that that circumstance can hide in plain
0: sight. But it's actually, it's actually pretty common. Now, let me just are you seeing same-sex couples? Are they part of the practice? Anyone from the transgender community or overwhelmingly, are we talk about the heterosexual practice, couples coming? Yeah. Well, so first of all, I don't work
1: with couples. I work with individuals. individuals right. Yeah. So, um, and in terms or of individual. that, I mean, yeah, with individuals. So, I mean, in terms of people's like sexual orientation, I mean, most of my clients are heterosexual or at least bisexual. Like there is some heterosexual dynamic there. But I've also had wonderful, amazing clients who are homosexual, who date, you know, it, all sorts of. So I've had like every permutation, basically, but most consistently, my most consistent client is a cisgendered heterosexual woman. Um, that's my most typical client. But everyone, like I said, I've, I've worked with everyone and everyone is welcome. It's just those are the people who are the most drawn to me.
0: And the people that will go see a coach to do this, any inclination, difference out of more white than black, or is it evenly evenly spread?
1: Yeah, it's really evenly spread. And, you know, it's evenly spread for me in terms of my own business. But um, And I think, you know, some coaches are a little bit more maybe – You know, like there are a lot of coaches, for instance, who specifically coach black women, like there are coaches who specifically coach Jewish people. There are coaches who, you know, so there's there's lots of different there are people who really specialize in in particular communities and demographics. Um, I don't specialize in a particular community or demographic, but that's but that's great. You know, there's lots of coaches out there and there's basically a coach for everyone. Um, so I think that, as soon as people find like, oh, there's somebody who's speaking my language, they're saying something that resonates with me, what i don't I don't see race being a factor in making a decision as to whether or not they're going to work with somebody. It's just who they're going to work with,
0: or most people college educated, affluent, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. Most of my clients are professionals. um, and I mean, they're again, this is not like a requirement that I have, but this is just. Most of them are people who are more high high achieving. A lot of them have graduate degrees. A lot of them have you know that successful what looks like that very successful career. Um, they have some means because it is a luxury service, right? Like so, if you if you don't have any if you don't have any money to invest in coaching, um, you know I still have lots of resources that are free. But in terms of who I work with one on one, yeah, there are people who tend to you know they have they have the means to invest. In coaching.
0: All right. So I'm going to make a sweeping kind of generalization now. So we've asked these questions, just kind of archetype of Americans. And one of the things that you know, we were at the conference is, you know, which was a nice thing, able to have a you know, direct, honest uh, dialogue and, and conversations about things. And so you know, we live in this era where everything is sliced and diced into the narrowest band, you know left-handed, white person, iris descent, uh, <laughs> you know, black, Hispanic, everything else. But what we're talking about really is a segment of the population here um, that is multicultural, um, that is diverse racially, is affluent, successful, late 30s to 40s, about half the people have uh had a failed marriage um you know my category um you know now recently remarried but you have uh people who haven't been in a relationship and about 20 percent that just have this part of their life that's that's unfilled do i do i basically have that have that correct
1: yeah yeah you do i mean i think the one thing that i would revise is that um the age range is wider. Right. Cause I, right. I was giving you medians and averages, but like I, you know, I've worked with people in their seventies. I like, I have a membership community. I have people in my community who were in their sixties sure. and 50 in, and so there's, a, there is definitely a range, but yes, I think that was a good summary. Good listening skills,
0: Steve. <laughs> oh, right. So I, so what I, what I think is, uh, is a couple of things. Um, I think that, we are now beginning to talk more about this as a society. Uh, the Surgeon General said that loneliness, yes, will kill you off as quickly as smoking a couple of packs a day, mm-hmm. which is quite a statement. It really is. Yeah, that report was right. was it was striking. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so you are this person who they come to see, affluent, successful. People And you are different right away from the overwhelming majority of, of people who, who walk in that door because you walked out of something that made you unhappy, found yourself in a place that made you happy, and really what drives that happiness is helping other people. And part of that advice is telling people that you have to love yourself right before you can commit and to be a full and whole partner to someone else. And so I guess my question is in the in the context is what, what percentage of people are walking in to see you in some state of anxiety, some state of loneliness, some state of depression Right. Which which is not something right that you initially set out right to observe, talk about, but take in. But you assess that this it that this loneliness, this disconnection um, as as driving um, this emptiness.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's some degree of anxiety and there's some degree of disconnection for for everyone who comes to me. I mean, I think if you didn't have any of that, then you wouldn't be seeking help. Um, you wouldn't be seeking guidance. In terms of depression, um, you know, there there have been times in the past where people have come to me and wanted to hire me, and I actually felt like you actually need, I, I would recommend therapy at this moment over coaching. Um, because if someone is in a very, you know, if they're just in, a, in a, an extreme, um, emotionally you know disrupted state then it's like coaching is that's not the time you want to you want to you want to stabilize I mean I help people with tools with obviously you know um mental health is something that's part of just what probably any coach does who's you know who's a good right. coach at least right um but I'm not a therapist right? right so if somebody's having an acute mental health right of course issue, you refer them to the appropriate Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, um, there are, it's interesting at the start of the pandemic, my business started booming because, I mean, for a few reasons. One is because people were actually just like sitting down and like actually had time to, <laughs> you know, really look at their lives and and look at their choices and, and prioritize things differently. Um, but also because people were sad and lonely. And they're like, okay, is there really some way that I can, even given the state of the world, even given my circumstances, is there still a way for me to feel connected and still have love? And um, yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> if anyone's I say, wondering. The,
0: I say this all the time politically, and I know we see eye to eye on, um, you know, the person I'm going to talk about, but there's a, we don't talk enough about in this country about this crisis of loneliness and disconnection as it relates to our politics. And, yeah. you know, what Donald Trump has created um, is a community of of lonely, disconnected people um, and put them together uh, under this MAGA umbrella. And now that it's the worst cause since Jim Crow in the, in the Confederacy is beside the point, right? If you're lonely and looking for a community and you have people, right, who have found themselves there, and then on the margins of this, um, you know, or maybe margins is the wrong word because it's, it's more mainstream than that. Now you have a, a militant extremism um, that's attracting disaffected people, uh, and they wind up in the Proud Boys, and they wind up in the Oath Keepers, and they wind up in the Patriot Front neo-Nazi organization, uh, just like it's always, always been. And so, you know, this societal issue, right, the healthcare costs of loneliness, the political costs of loneliness, and at the end of the day, uh, the cost of loneliness against uh, really, the mission statement of a country, which is, you know, for people to pursue happiness. It's that it's tough to pursue your happiness if you're sad and you're and you're and you're alone. So, so most people who come to see you, you know, you would say are in a state of some degree or not of loneliness.
1: Yeah, I would say. I mean, I, I would I wouldn't say that that's how they would describe it. I mean, people don't say, "I'm so lonely, help me." Um, they're more like, I really want to need someone. I really want to have a relationship. I want to have love. I want to feel more connected to myself. So I think that's, it's not that lonely is the word that they necessarily always use, but there is some loneliness there because if we feel disconnected from love, we're going to feel lonely, whether you are in a relationship or not, right? Like that's just, that's just how it goes. Like that's, you know, love is an inside job, and um, it doesn't feel that way. And, you know, and to your to your larger point about what's happening politically in our country, um, you know, I don't give Donald Trump that much credit. I mean, he's an avatar. He is somebody who came along. And if if the conditions were not perfect for his message and for him to tap into a certain vein, then it wouldn't you know, it never would have connected. Right. So I think that we have disaffected people in every you know, political shade and spectrum because ultimately I believe that we have a a self-worth crisis in our culture and that is the cause of everything because we don't view ourselves as inherently worthy and we don't view other people as inherently worthy. So what I mean by that is if you think about a newborn baby and you look at a newborn baby, does this baby deserve love? do they deserve respect? Do they deserve kindness? Do they deserve safety? Right. So some people would say maybe depends on what color they are or where they were born. Right. Um, And but hopefully we can all actually understand that. Yeah, this baby, of course, this baby is born deserving of those things. Right. And so if you can accept that, then you can also start to understand that that applies to all of us. We were all born, we were all babies once, right? And part of what I see as the problem politically is that um, no one wants to give anyone the, the, the basic foundation of just, you are a worthy human. I might disagree with you, but I recognize your inherent worth. And so if we recognize each other's inherent worth, and like even on the basic level of respect, right? Like, respect is not something that I believe that we should have to earn from one another. We owe it to each other to just respect each other's humanity. And we don't do that so often in the, on either side of the political spectrum. And so if we continue to just dehumanize each other, it's only a reflection of how we feel. Like, if we felt really connected internally and we loved ourselves, and we felt inherently worthy and, you know, good enough and we didn't have to do all these things and get this outside validation and approval and all of this and, you know, money and success and all these things to be good enough. If we just felt good enough as we as we are inherently today, right now. I, I think the world would be a, a different place. It would be transformed. So that's how I look at these things. That's why I'm always about, let's talk about how you feel about yourself because it is such an easy distraction to project and put all of your energy and all of your attention on other people. Look at how terrible they are. Look at how stupid they are. Look at how bad they are. And if everyone in the world just continues to do that, we are actually going to have an apocalypse and we are all going to kill each other because that is the inevitable outcome <laughs> of that, of that, of that energy continuing.
0: You said, you said one of the things uh, about self-worth that I want to, that I want to come back to, but let me, so before we come back to self-worth and, and I, I want to ask you a, a a question, which is why do you think that it is that, people's self-worth has never been lower, is what you're saying, at a time when it's constantly validated, right? The first thing that comes to mind, right, you know, is we inculcate our kids with self-worth now at a young age with, with participation trophies, right? So there's, there's no lack of validation. Right. And I, I want to, I want to go more deeply into this with you, because I, I think your observation there was brilliant. But how many people before we do that, how, how many people say to you, is there is they're looking for a match? Absolutely. No one else on the other political party. Well, what's whatsoever? It doesn't matter. I'll yeah. date it racially. I'll date, you know, between religions, right. Cultures, whatever. But, you know, no Republican or no Democrat what, whatsoever.
1: Um, I mean I, I probably I don't think I have any clients who'd say no Democrats whatsoever. <laughs> they probably wouldn't be hiring me if they felt that way. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, but um yeah, I mean I most this this has changed because I've been doing this now for ten years. And when I first started doing this, people were much more about values and much more about um, you know, I, I don't have to I don't have to agree on every single political point as my partner, but as long as we have like common ground. And I definitely seen that polarized like people are not interested in navigating common ground anymore. They they really just are like, nope, I just want somebody who has the same political views as me. Um, so some people are more extreme in that than others. But um, I say that everybody has a political line in the sand now that's very clear um that probably was a little bit fuzzier. They'd have to give it some more thought um, you know, ten
0: years ago or eight years ago. Is it is it is it just stable now? Is it just is it just the way it is? Is it still hardening? Is it still is it still getting worse, right? Are more people, you know, more more direct and more clear on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's getting worse at the moment. Um, for sure yeah it's getting worse but you know the thing about the thing about dating culture and just our romantic culture in general is that it's not this thing that's like out there like we're all a part of it right and so everyone contributes to it whether you are actively dating whether you're in a relationship or not we're all still co- we're all still collectively contributing our expectations and um our you know behaviors and a based on certain beliefs about love and, and relationships. So we all have to decide, wow, this is getting bad. It's It's only getting worse. And if this continues, what is that going to mean for all of us as a society? What is that going to mean for us as individuals to feel like half of the country is my mortal enemy, right? Like this is not going to be, this is not going to be a happy situation for any of us. So it's it's like the individual. So going back to what you said about self-worth and the validation that a lot of, you know, people get. So there's a difference between self-worth and self and between self-worth self-worth and self-validation or being validated. Because oftentimes, and what happens with a lot of kids is that even by very, very well intentioned people, we all get this to some degree. Your self-worth now becomes tied to the validation. It's not you're good enough. Oh, and that's amazing that you did that thing. It's you did that thing and that's what makes you special and that's what makes you good enough. And so the the validation and that's why we see does social does getting a million likes on Instagram help people's mental health? We all know that
0: it doesn't. I was gonna say these things have been a disaster, right? They've been a disaster for this. Do you do you agree yeah. with
1: I mean, I listen. Yes, they have. But this I, I but I'm also not, you know, Um, I don't blame it all on technology, but technology definitely exacerbates a lot of behaviors that we see now. The, the result of this like we wouldn't no, we wouldn't have a, the loneliness epidemic that we have in our country if we didn't have if we didn't have, you know, iPhones and social media.
0: We wouldn't. So. Let me. So what? So I have a good friend of mine. His name is name is Paul, and um, I've traveled all around the world with Paul, and we've gone on a lot of, uh, whether it's diving, hiking, a lot of things involving guides, and and Paul's dream is to write a book, and in the book he says will be the dumbest question that he has has been asked, and I I think you're in a in a related field perhaps. I love it. Right, that we, that <laughs> we can talk about dating a little bit and what it's like out there. A lot of people in the warning community um, might skew a little bit older and aren't necessarily out in the dating uh, world right now. And so we live in a peculiar time, peculiar age, post, post-pandemic. So give us a handle on, on what's going on out there. Generically, in the dating world, right through the prism of let's say a guy, right, who comes to see you, um, you know, in his late 30s, early 40s, he's alone, he's looking for a partner, you know, he wants to find the one. What is it? What is it that you're going to say to him? And what is it? What is the thing that you most commonly hear, right, from that guy as both a coach now? Right. But as a woman, you're just like, oh, my God, what is it? What is it that they don't get about us?
1: <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I can't say that there's like a dumb one specific dumb question. But I, but but I think there is a general naivete. Let's put it that way, in terms of thinking that um, there's just this formula that you can follow and. And you're going to meet somebody and get into a great relationship without having to look at any of your own beliefs, expectations, behaviors, and you know, so I think there's the sense of just like, okay, well, just tell me what to do to like, go meet this great person. And it's like, well, I mean, we got to talk first about you, right? Um, Because just going through, just taking, just going through steps, just for the sake of going through steps when you're not aligned with how you actually feel and what you believe and it's just not, it's not going to work. So I think it's not that they're dumb questions. It's just more of um, this sense that maybe there's just this one answer that I haven't heard. And you can just tell me that one thing and I can just do it and not have to worry about anything else. So it's not dumb so much as naive.
0: <laughs> you, do you keep track of the people that you have, um, your, your clients who have, who have, do how many people say you know I- i've met someone we're getting married yeah. You, know, yeah you it's you you yeah so you would be surprised okay so i definitely i have plenty
1: of people who actively like reach out to me i've you know invite me to weddings you know say like this never would have happened thanks to you but then i also have people who will just like randomly like they'll see something i post on instagram and they'll be like oh hey i you know i forgot to tell you you know we worked together three years ago and you said blah 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 and this was so helpful and Right after that, I met this guy. And we've been married now for a year. And I'm like, you weren't going to tell me that. <laughs> like, you'd be so sur- Like, that happens so often. It's like people are like, oh, I kind of forgot. Because I think what happens is that it's not like when you're matchmaking and you're the one who's literally like, you know, Jane, meet Steve. And it's like, oh, sh- you know, how did you meet? Francesca introduced us, right? Um, but when it's coaching and you have now developed the skill to become your own matchmaker, you've done it so it's not like you know you know I think I think that people sometimes <laughs> don't they don't make the direct
0: connection <laughs> have you have you had some matchmaking horror stories
1: oh god yes Yeah. there's a there's a reason that I don't matchmake anymore Steve because it is <laughs> like, it was like,
0: not like, like well you gotta you gotta share one here like it's
1: what taking like, years
0: bad like what what I let's Did... hear the what is the worst Francesca the, wor-
1: the worst is, is it's not even about disastrous dates. It's about people with an absurdly unrealistic expectations. Um, people who like, I like, I mean, I had to start saying to people when they were telling me, okay, this is why I want to meet somebody. One of my standard questions had like became, okay, when is the last time you met someone who met this basic criteria? And sometimes it's like, well, I haven't. Right. <laughs> and like, well, and they'll be like, oh, I've met, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe a couple years ago. OK. When's the last time you dated somebody who met this basic criteria? And so often people are like, no. And, and I like I had this one. I was thinking about her the other day at this one client. Her criteria was that she wanted to date someone who was he had to be over six, three, have blonde hair, green eyes. Um, a minimum of $100,000 cash, like uh, savings on hand <laughs> and like some other like super specific things And I was like, okay, well, I said, you know, blonde hair and green eyes, 6'3". Wow, 6'3", that's already a tiny slice of the population. And then you add on top of that blonde hair, green eyes, like, you know, where, when's the last time you, you've even seen somebody who met this criteria? And she's like, I haven't, but that's, why, that's what I hired you for.
0: If you were like, <laughs> if you were like, if you were like six two and a half, like what you were, we have like now. She
1: probably would have been flexible on half an inch, but it's but it's just, but it's like that kind of delusion of like, you think I have this magical portal where now there are all these like blonde, green eyed giants
0: who want who want to date do you. You, <laughs> do you think, but do you think when that person is sitting in front of you, right? Like that's not real life, is it?
1: No, well, actually, and what's interesting about this particular, this was interesting about this. So this person really, I learned a lot from this situation. So I never found myself in it again because what she did was she waited until after she hired me to be honest with me about what she was looking for. So, and she also waited until after she hired, hired me to be honest with me that she'd never been in a relationship before. So she, so it was like, You know, so she so there were so many, (laughs) you know, there were so many things there. But this is actually a perfect example of how love is an inside job. She was convincing herself, I'm single because I haven't met this impossible person. But it's like, no, this is all your way of protecting yourself. This is why you don't date. This is why you've never had relationships, because you create these impossible obstacles within yourself and then you cling to them. And now, and you know, it becomes this whole story and vicious
0: cycle. Is it a is it a defense mechanism? Yes. Or is it a is it a I don't know a type of material? Like what percentage of people come in right as opposed to I want right the blonde haired, green eyed, six foot three, Dolph Lundgren dude right? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, like I want I want like, you know, Michael B. Johnson, right? Uh, um, you know, like I want somebody who's kind, I want someone who's gentle, I want somebody with character, integrity, hard work, right? I mean, what percentage of people come in and talk about that, right? I just I can't find somebody with like what we would call the core. Character virtues mm-hmm. right, versus a materialistic right aesthetic of right. I want someone who looks like this, makes this much, and lives here, and drives drives this type of car. Yeah.
1: So, and so th- again, I don't matchmake anymore, and this is one of the reasons why. Because with matchmaking, it's probably eighty percent leading with the superficial list of things that people want. Um, because they think that if, as long as they meet somebody that checks these boxes, then that person, they'll be happy. Um, and, um, but as for coaching, (laughs) but for coaching, people are more, they have more awareness that like, oh, I actually have to do some things differently here. So, um, they typically don't lead with that. It's more about, okay, I know the kind of relationship I want to have. I know how I want to feel. But that's still, I mean, but all of that still comes up. I mean, everyone still has preferences. And some people are more attached to very specific physical or, you know, um, quantifiable uh, external traits um, that they can check off a list versus really thinking about the relationship. But it's it's not their fault because, um, you know, I just did a TED Talk last month in Vancouver. And my, thank you. And um my favorite city th- in North America. What's that? It's
0: my favorite city in North America.
1: Really? Well, that's it was only my second time there, but it is very beautiful. Yeah. Um, but you know, what I talked about in my TED talk is what I call the fairy tale industrial complex, which is just this web of marketing, advertising, movies, music, so many things that really sell us this notion of romantic love as a fantasy. And it's about finding one perfect person. And when you find that perfect person, you live happily ever after. And this is something that is like literally used to sell us everything, right? Like everything from cars to chewing gum, to makeup, to everything. It's like, if you're beautiful enough, if you're handsome enough, if you look rich enough, if you look this way, if you have these things, then you'll be desirable, then you'll be lovable, then you'll live happily ever after. And this really seeps into people's expectations. So we're all kind of programmed to have this feeling that romantic love is about one perfect person. And if I'm not happy, it's because I haven't found the perfect person. It's because my partner isn't, quote, making me happy. But the reality is, if you are an unhappy person, even if you meet someone amazing, you'll briefly have a bump in your happiness because the novelty of it. And then you'll go back to, you'll just default back to your regular level of unhappiness, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. So a big shift that people need to make in thinking about rel- romantic relationships is from not just being focused on the characteristics of another person, but to actually start with, well, what, is, what are the qualities, what are the values of the relationship that I want to have? Because if you know that your core romantic values include things like, you know, emotional intimacy, then when you're dating somebody, no matter how, you know, if, if Dolph Lundgren's your thing, <laughs> it may be Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> but if, you can, if you're like, oh, but I can see that one of my core needs is not, is not being met here. This person is not capable of meeting me. At the level of emotional intimacy that i'm seeking then you understand it's like well it's not about them being perfect it's about what we create when we come together right and the relationship is a co-creation and you're half of that equation so you have to start with you like well what am i expecting what are my values what do i want what am i bringing to the table what are the ways in which i'm not being loving right i'm not being loving towards myself i'm not being loving towards other people so um you know i could go on about this so i'll stop
0: <laughs> i could go on you know, and oh it, it's fascinating i i will say i will say this about you as we come to the end of our time you are an exceptionally interesting person and you are in this like very 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 like narrow like band of people you know that you meet over the course of life that are just happy and exude a type of glow that makes people feel good um you know it's a gift and a, and a talent and i think that um when i talk to young people talk to people on college campuses you know and, you know we'll talk about careers and the direction they'll go and you know the degree to which anybody hears this including my own kids right this Track that you're supposed to be on for whatever reason, you know, to whatever place is highly artificial. And you know, you're in the town car, you're in the big city, you're on the fast track in the big law firm, and right, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to wind up in a in a happy and a fulfilled place. And so you get one lap around the track, um, what you're supposed to do versus what you're called to do. Um, I think are, are very different things. And, you know, the sooner you figure that out in life, probably the better off you are. And you're a trailblazer in that front. You're helping a lot of people and you are an incredibly interesting person. And Francesca, before we go, tell, us, um, tell the audience here where they can find you. Uh,
1: well, first of all, I have to thank you for such th- so many kind words. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I am easy to find. I'm at Dear Franny everywhere. Um, I have a podcast called Dear Franny. Actually, um, my uh, my fifth season launches later this week, so um, there'll be some the new episodes coming. But I'm on all the socials at Dear Franny. Easy to find.
0: Franny's great. I encourage you to follow her. Go listen, uh, Franny Cheska. Thank you so much for um. I just that. It's okay. It's perfect. (laughs) You just get that right at the end. Francesca, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Steve. I appreciate it.